first thing to say, those glasses were amazing. So <clears throat> Now, there are some things nobody cares about, some things nobody should care about. Toothpaste flavors, Tay-Tay's latest single, Android or iPhone, the way pigeons throw their necks forward when they walk, and why they don't just fly. Which emojis to send on your messages, star eyes or love hearts, and what does the love heart emoji actually mean? Some things nobody should care about, but then there are things that we should all care about. One example, close to the Australian heart, is family. Now, if you can remember back before lockdown or when we were all together on Zoom the other day, you might have met my daughter Josie. Now, I love my daughter Josie with all of my heart. I love to read her stories, I love to buy her ice cream, bike with her in the lane, and if anyone tries to hurt her, they will have to go through my massive muscles. Another example that I care about a lot, seagulls. They're white and perfect on the outside, ugly and evil on the inside. They always steal my chips. Mine, mine, mine. I care about seagulls, all right. I care enough to run onto the beach like a madman and chase them away so that they will never, ever, ever, ever eat one of my chips again. There are things that nobody should care about, and then there are things that we should all care about, and of the things we should all care about, one of the most important is mission. Mission. You know already that Christians have a mission. Jesus rose from the dead. He walked out of a tomb so many Easter's ago to deliver the death blow to the destiny of every human, death and judgment. Jesus stood on that mountain and he gave the great commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, the word mission comes from a Latin word. It simply means to send. Mission is God the Father sending God the Son from heaven to earth. God the Father and God the Son together sending the Spirit to each and every one of us disciples to fulfill Jesus' promise to be with us to the very end of the age. Mission is our Lord Jesus with all authority, sending his disciples from that mountain in Galilee out to all nations. And in this sense, all Christians are missionaries. Jesus' command to go is part of the all that I've commanded you, which the first disciples were to teach to their disciples, and their disciples were to teach their disciples until the end of the age. And in this sense, we are all agents sent out into the world to our families, our suburbs, our unis. In some sense, we are all responsible for all nations. Everyone who is called to the Lord Jesus Christ is commissioned for the sake of all nations. But if you've been around church long enough, you know that already. That is Youth Group 101, and you, you are Wild Street veterans. But the question that we're asking over the next few weeks isn't, do you know what mission is? The question we'll be asking is, who cares? Who cares? I mean, who really cares about mission? Over the next three weeks, we're going to focus on three parts of our personhood. Our heart, our head, our hands. We'll line up our affections and desires, our plans, and our actions against God's. My prayer is that as we turn from Jonah to Revelation to 2 Timothy, that God himself will renovate our hearts, our heads, and our hands. So at the end of these three weeks, we will be able to say that God has spoken, and the words about his Son have written themselves into our hearts, creating in us a heart for his heart, 
plans for his plans and hands that are willing to follow his even to the point where they were pierced in love for us. That when it comes to mission, we might love God with all of our heart, our mind, and our strength. This series is not about 12 rules for life. You're not going to leave with a self-help manual for mission. This series is about God giving us his own cares as the Spirit wields the sword to bring us life to the full. So how about we pray? Here at the beginning of our united time together, let's pray that God would care enough for us to give us his cares. Let's pray. I'm going to use Psalm 67 to help us. Our Father, thank you for sending your Son for us. In his name we pray that you would be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us, giving us hearts for your heart, plans for your plans, hands that follow your hands, that your way may be known on the earth in your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mission. Who cares? Who has a heart for mission? What would it even look like to have a heart beating with deep desires, almost angry affections? What would it look like for you and me to have God's heart for mission? Well, we're in luck. To answer those questions, to challenge our hearts, God gave us the book of Jonah. You've read it before. We just saw it read so wonderfully for us. What's the one thing everyone knows about Jonah's story? The big fish that Rod asked me about, right? That giant fish is just a small part of the story. It's only mentioned three times. This is not a VeggieTales story for kids. This isn't a story about a big fish. It's a story about mission and about two people who care, two people who have a heart for mission, Jonah and God, a God who sends missionaries and a missionary sent by God. And as we look first at Jonah and then God, we'll see who has a heart for mission and how and why we ought to as well. Now, the part of the story that we're going to focus in on this morning, the part which was read for us so well, it begins by telling us, chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah, and he was angry. Well, what's making Jonah mad? Let me bring you up to speed. The book of Jonah begins with God sending Jonah on a mission. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. God sees, and we see that God cares. God cares about evil. He wants sin to stop. So he sends Jonah to call out against Nineveh, the great city of the Assyrian Empire. Now, the way people decorate or don't decorate tells you something about them, doesn't it? I'm not sure how or if you've decorated the walls in your home, but excavations have uncovered Ninevite decor. Check this out. The Ninevites were violent, they would besiege cities with towers like this. They would strip enemy leaders naked and skin them alive. And whoever they didn't take as slaves would be impaled. It's no wonder the prophet Nahum would describe Nineveh as the bloody city, 
all full of lies and plunder, upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. Wow. Unceasing evil. Total depravity. Is it hard to imagine such evil when news of uprisings in Myanmar, civil war in Ethiopia, terror in Afghanistan, even rumors of genocide in East Asia dominate our feeds in our violent world of wars, a world of countless abuses, an internet powered by pornography, sexual assault against schoolgirls, needless, endless exploitations. God cares. Their evil has come up before him, so he sends Jonah to do something about it. But does Jonah care about mission? Well, the moment God gives Jonah his mission, Jonah chucks a runner. He runs right the other way. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Yeah, Jonah cares about mission. He cares about mission the way I care about seagulls. He hates the idea. He jumps on a ship. He doesn't just travel away from Nineveh. No, he sails as far as humanly possible. Check out this map. There you can see Joppa, there's Joppa, there's Nineveh, and Tarshish, it's all the way over there. Tarshish was the end of the known world. Jonah is doing everything he can to shipwreck God's mission. Why? Is he afraid? Is he racist? We're not told yet. We have to wait for it. Anyway, while Jonah falls asleep in the boat, God is one step ahead. Even before Jonah's ship sets out, God sends a storm to sea. You know that storm ends up sinking Jonah, who's swallowed by that giant fish and taken to the very depths of the sea. And from the belly of the beast, Jonah prays. He prays a prayer which has actually left commentators divided. I mean, the form looks good. It's nearly copy-paste plagiarized from the Psalms. But the words leave us wondering, what's going on beneath the surface? Is Jonah really repentant? Or is he just going through the motions of a good Israelite, saying the right liturgy to get God's grace? Whatever we conclude, Jonah's possibly presumptuous theology turns out to be spot on, even though Jonah never apologizes for running right the other way. God listens to his prayer. He commands that fish to spit Jonah up onto dry land. And then God sends Jonah to Nineveh again. And this time, Jonah does what he's told, but he seems a little grumpy about it. He puts in the smallest effort humanly possible. Jonah 3, verse 3. So Jonah arose, he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So, Nineveh's a big city. It uh, takes three days to walk through it. How far does Jonah go? One day. And uh, that sermon of Jonah's, uh, in Hebrew, it's only five words long. What does Jonah leave out? Everything. He doesn't mention why Nineveh will be destroyed or what the Ninevites can do about it. He doesn't even mention God. It's like Jonah's still deliberately trying to sabotage God's mission. But it doesn't work because the Ninevites, a people famous for violently murdering their enemies, skinning them and skewering them on sticks, they listen to that five-word sermon. Jonah 3, verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. 
The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. The king himself sat in the dust, and his next command, this violent king of a violent people, call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. We've all heard people talk about the God of the Old Testament as angry, violent, cruel. But when the the real God of the Old Testament shows up and he hears these violent people call out for mercy, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Wow! And was Jonah happy about being the most successful missionary ever? I mean, this is every missionary's dream. Imagine one day of door knocking and your whole suburb comes to Jesus. This is more subscribers than Jordan Peterson, more influence than Donald Trump. Five words and a whole city is transformed as God's mission succeeds. And is Jonah happy about it? No. It displeased Jonah, and he was angry. Because Jonah doesn't have a heart for mission. He has a heart that cares for two things. Others getting what they deserve, and himself getting what he wants. So first, Jonah cares about others getting what they deserve. Jonah cares about judgment. Read chapter 4, verse 1 with me. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Okay, that's how not to pray. (laughs) Jonah didn't run away because he was afraid of the Ninevites. Jonah ran away because he hated them. He wanted them to be destroyed, to get what they deserve. But he knew that God loves to be gracious. Oh, he knew that God just can't help himself from showing mercy. Jonah knew God's heart because Jonah knew his Old Testament. I mean, did you see how he quoted the most quoted verse in the Old Testament, and flung it at God's face? I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. wonder if you remember where this verse comes from. It comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 34. God's just delivered his people up out of Egypt, out of slavery, but at the base of Mount Sinai, they make a golden calf, an idol. No sooner has God given his law than they break it, bowing before another god in a weird sexual ritual. It's unspeakable. Some people have likened it to a husband committing adultery on his wedding night. And when God threatens judgment, Moses intercedes and he pleads for mercy. And God forgives. God forgives. 
And so Moses wondered, what sort of God am I dealing with? God, what are you like? Moses prays a prayer, God, show me your glory. And so God proclaims this famous verse, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but... Well, Jonah doesn't quote the next bit, the judgment bit. In fact, Jonah mentally presumes on grace. He even takes that special covenant love word, which specially belongs to Israel, and he applies it to this wicked nation of Nineveh because Jonah knew God's heart. But like the demons who know, he shuddered and he ran away. He tried to sabotage God's mission because he knew that the Ninevites would get mercy. They wouldn't get what they deserve. Now, at first glance, I think that sounds crazy, don't you? I mean, is there anybody who's like Jonah, really? Is there anybody who flings Bible verses about grace back into God's face? God, I hate that you so love the world. Is there really anybody who wants other people to be judged, to be destroyed? I don't know if you remember the crowds celebrating as Derek Chauvin was condemned for the murder of George Floyd. Do you remember the relief as Harvey Weinstein was exposed, as Osama bin Laden was taken out? I mean, do you think perpetrators should just be let go, freed, forgiven? I mean, Jonah is a book written for a people who were enslaved by Egypt, raped by Assyria, exiled by Babylon, smashed by Rome. I mean, what about Hitler, Idi Amin, the genocide of the Uyghurs, the Khmer Rouge, the Armenian genocide? Do you really think that perpetrators should just be forgiven? I know those are extreme examples, so is Nineveh, but when it comes to people who are so obviously wicked, don't we really just want God to stop them? Even when it's not rapists and mass murderers, what about when it's just that troll online or the jerk in traffic or the drip, drip, drip of the so-called small sexual abuses? Don't you hate it when people get away with hurting others again and again and again? I mean, shouldn't people get what they deserve? It seems like the idea of justice comes far more naturally than the idea of grace. Just think of that person in your life who, if they weren't there, life would be so much easier. We might not always be as honest as Jonah, but I think this is the way our world works. We do think others should get what they deserve. And to Jonah and to all of us who think like this and get angry when justice doesn't happen, God asks a question. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Now, maybe there's lots of things you'd want to say back to God. But Jonah doesn't say a thing. He stonewalls God. And instead, Jonah went out of the city, and he sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. What do you think Jonah wants to see? Yeah, I think he wants to see fireworks. He's betting those wicked Ninevites can't keep up their conversion for very long. Sooner or later, they are going to stuff up, and then God will have to give them what they deserve. And when he does, Jonah's going to be there, sitting in his shelter, watching the Michael Bay movie with all of its explosions. 
Jonah's an intense dude, right? I mean, at first glance, it seems pretty easy to say, I'm not like Jonah. Maybe you're still thinking, no, Seth, I'm not like Jonah. I would never want anyone to be destroyed, no matter how evil they are. And I, I resonate with that. I've said the same thing. But I wonder if that's mostly talk, or do we actually back that up with our actions? I mean, Jonah is active, right? God tells him to go there, and Jonah goes away over there. God forgives Nineveh, and Jonah builds a house hoping for judgment. You know, Jonah is active, but we, maybe we're just passive. Jesus rose from the dead, and he told his disciples to go. Maybe Jonah goes the wrong way, but we don't go anywhere. Jesus told his disciples to preach forgiveness. Maybe Jonah only preached a five-word sermon of judgment, but we sit in silence. Let's be honest. Are we really doing anything about the fact that people will get what they deserve? That in the end, people will face the just and good God and face his judgment? Are we really doing anything about it? I'm always challenged by a song which my dad shared with me from the 70s. There's an evangelist, There's an evangelist called, Keith, called Green, Keith Green, and, uh, and uh, he his song. Just listen to these lyrics. They get me every time. Do you see? Do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs. And you, how can we be so numb? How can we be so much like Jonah? We care about others getting what they deserve because secondly we care about ourselves getting what we want you see in the story god never sends a fire on nineveh instead he sends jonah a plant now the lord god appointed a plant and he made it to come up over jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort so jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and he said, it's better for me to die than to live. So Jonah really isn't a happy guy, right? In the whole book, there's only one thing and only one time where Jonah's really happy. It doesn't last long, but this plant grows up, and it shades him from the sun. It's like air conditioning or that sea breeze on a hot day, a 7-Eleven slushy. Jonah isn't just happy. No, Jonah is exceedingly glad, so happy, enjoying this gift. But then God sends something else. It's a little worm, and that little worm munches on Jonah's cabbage. And when the sun comes up the next day, when God sends a little hot wind to spice things up, Jonah is not happy. I mean, this is your air conditioning dying in the middle of summer. This is your phone and its battery conking out at the critical moment. And Jonah begins shouting like a toddler in a tantrum, I wish I were dead. 
Jonah cares so much about himself and his happiness that if he can't get what he wants, he'd rather not be alive. The Ninevites, I mean, Jonah doesn't just want them to be unhappy. He wants them to be destroyed. But himself, when God lets him be just a little bit unhappy, Jonah's ready to rage quit on life. Because this is who Jonah really cares about. Himself. Who do you really care about? I mean, I doubt most of us spend our uh, energy on plants, militantly yelling, not the cactus! But what do you get frustrated by? Is it when things don't work out for you? When things don't go according to your plans? When lockdown derails not just your holidays, but your whole life? When your tech fails, your phone gets scratched, you can't buy what you've been saving for, he or she says no. You get sick, or someone in your family gets sick, and how could God let this happen to you again? I mean, if our emotional energy, our time, our money, what we talk about when we're with our mates or when we're, you know, hanging out with our friends is mainly about ourselves and what makes us happy, your Netflix, your games, your fashion, your house, your food, your holidays, your family, even your ministry, then this is what you really care about. Yourself, not others, not mission. We're all more like Jonah than we'd like. I know I am. Every day I wake up and I show that I care more about others getting what they deserve and myself getting what I want more than the merciful mission of God. As I was writing this talk, I just began to feel really guilty. I started out thinking Jonah was a crazy jerk, and I ended up realizing that I'm a lot like him. But if we're feeling guilty, then we need to lift our eyes up, off of ourselves, off of Jonah, and look at God. Look at the God who cares even for his enemies. And I'm not just talking about God caring for the Ninevites. We'll come to them in a moment. No, I'm talking about God caring for the person that we've all realized that we're like. Jonah. I mean, from the very beginning of the story, God shows that he cares for Jonah. God didn't leave him sitting selfishly at home. No, he chose Jonah twice. I wouldn't have chosen him once. God doesn't abandon Jonah when he chucks a runner. No, God saves him from the sea. You know, even after Jonah says he hates God and he storms off, God still cares. God goes on a mission to try and get through to him. God sends a plant and a worm and the sun and the wind. God even speaks with Jonah. He doesn't just sit back and laugh as Jonah tantrums. No, he comes to Jonah and he tries to show Jonah his heart, what he cares about. That's why God sent the storm and that little worm. He wanted to stop Jonah from getting what he cared about so he could teach Jonah what he should be caring about. God wanted to save Jonah from himself, from his small, selfish cares, so that he could care about what really matters. Oh, if we feel a little bit like Jonah this morning, then let us look at this God who cares for Jonah. Look at this God who cares for you who wants to save us from ourselves, from our small, selfish cares, so we can care about what really matters, so we can care about what God cares about. Mission, the mission of God to love even his enemies, even 
the Ninevites. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you didn't labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. God asks, you really cared about that plant, didn't you, Jonah? Even though you didn't do anything for it. You didn't go to Bunnings to buy it. You didn't plant it. You didn't water it. You didn't even wait for it. In fact, not only did you do nothing, but the plant wasn't around for very long. It came one night, and it was gone the next day. The only person who it made happy was you, and only for a few hours. So if it's okay for you to care about something so small, do you think it's okay if I care maybe for a giant city with thousands of people and animals? And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? That's how the book ends, with God asking Jonah, who cares about a plant, with God asking us for permission to care about a city, a city full of people who are confused, more than 120,000 people living for things that don't really matter. Netflix and slushies, careers and Instagram photos. Yes, people who are wicked and evil, but people who don't have any hope, people who live far longer than plants, far longer than cities that last generations, people who will be judged forever. And do you see it's more than just people? I love that God gives the last word to animals as he asks us, is it okay for me to care? Jonah doesn't answer. We're left wondering if Jonah ever changed. The story leaves us wondering if we will ever change. Will we ever stop caring more about others getting what they deserve and ourselves getting what we want? Will we ever start caring about mission the way God does? Loving mission with all of our heart the way God does? because God really cares. God crazy cares. And this is the only way that Jonah is like God. Whatever they care about, they care 100% for. They are active, not passive. They're both so intense. I mean, God's heart for mission is so intense that he sent someone to save the scariest people on earth. God is so intense that when these Ninevites who destroyed so many others and not given mercy, when these people cry for mercy, he listens. And that's what Jonah expected. Do we really expect such amazing grace? A grace that wants to save the wickedest and the worst, whether they be genocidal politicians, sexual perpetrators, religious hypocrites. Do we really expect such amazing grace overtaking even our enemies? because we know so much more than Jonah. We know that God's care is so intense. Our God cares so much about our evil world. Our God so loved the world that he sent his only son, 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Jesus always had a heart for mission. He saw crowds and he had compassion on them. He even prayed for the crowds which would call for his crucifixion. He prayed for workers to be sent out into the harvest. He wept over Jerusalem, just as Paul tells us that whenever he speaks of people who live as the enemies of the cross of Christ, he can only do it with tears. Paul, who has God's Spirit giving him God's cares, he says in Romans 9 and 10 that the way he feels about the lost is that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. My heart's desire and prayer to God is that they may be saved. But Jesus is the one whose heart drove him to be cut off for our sake, leaving the glory of heaven to be stripped naked and stuck up on a pole, crucified for the Ninevites in their place, crucified for you and me in our place, the scandal of grace, taking what we deserve to give us the life that we don't, crucified to prove the righteousness of God, mercy and justice meeting, to show God the just and the justifier of everyone who has faith in Jesus, even his enemies. I mean, God's heart is so intense, rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love. What measure could amount to his desire? He's the one who never leaves the one behind. The story ends with God asking Jonah, is it okay? for me to care. Is it okay for God to care about 1.5 billion Muslims? Is it okay for God to care about 621 million Buddhists? Is it okay for God to care about Myanmar, China, Sudan, Israel? Is it okay for God to care about the over 3 billion people in our world today who are unreached, who will live and die without ever hearing the name of Jesus? Is it okay for God to care that over 75% of missionaries go to the reached world, that almost all of mission money goes to the two-thirds of the world where the most Christians already are? Is it okay for God to care that over 70,000 people die every day, 70,000 people will die today in the unreached world without Jesus? Because he does care. Do you? Do you want to? I do. I want to. As we come to the end of a talk on hearts, the application has to land on prayer. Because God's the one who's in the business of softening hearts. We can't just try harder, forcing feelings to grow where they aren't. No, it's His Spirit who produces a harvest of faithful feelings, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's God himself through his spirit who remakes us in the image of his son who felt compassion for the crowds. God's spirit unites us to the heart that weeps and prays for his enemies. The spirit writes Christ's law of love into our hearts so we might have great sorrow and unceasing anguish for the lost. 
This morning, will we begin praying dangerous prayers that might radically change the course of our lives? Will we pray with Moses for God to show us his glory and to grip us with his grace? Will we pray that God might take the message from this book of Jonah and write it on our hearts and give us a heart for his heart? Will we pray, as we saw Paul pray in the book of Ephesians a couple of months ago, will we pray that God himself might fill us by the power of his Spirit with all the fullness of a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love for all nations? Because with what we've read this morning, I know God will be pleased to answer those prayers. If he persisted with Jonah, if he sent his son, then we of all people know that he loves to give good gifts to his children. One story I'll never forget was of a missionary who forgot to expect God's grace. He was an engineer and she was a nurse and they were stationed in a little town in Africa. It was a hospital town and there was a bandit who was raiding around that town, raping and pillaging and murdering. But one day the bandit's son got sick and he brought his son to this hospital and he said, I'll give anything if you can keep my son alive. The missionary took the opportunity to share the hope and the love of Jesus with this bandit. And the sad news is the bandit's son died. But in that moment, he actually came to trust Jesus. And his life changed, an incredible change. He began to, well, he stopped raping and pillaging and murdering, and he began to actually repay things that he'd done, to visit communities and begin to help them rebuild and to apologize. In fact, the transformation was so big that the missionary came to him one day and said, I just can't believe how much you've changed. And the bandit looked at him and said, what do you mean you can't believe? You told me God would do this. What do we expect? I mean, I always expected Jonah didn't change. But God was on the case. What about us? If we pray prayers for God to change our hearts, well, the story ends, God asks, is it okay for me to care? And we don't know if Jonah finally realized what a noob he was being, but this is our chance. Let us pray that God will give us a heart for his heart, that we will not care more about others getting what they deserve and ourselves getting what we want, but that we will have God's heart for mission, that we will care for all nations, even our enemies.